Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. A Dear Media original podcast. Hello, what's up, everybody, and welcome to Wine Face, where we're breaking down everything the experts know about wine in a fun, digestible, and accessible way, because wine is for enjoying and wine is for everyone. I'm your host, Helen Johannesson from Helen's Wines in beautiful Los Angeles, California, and you know, sometimes I'm doing that intro and I'm like, I'm going to break it up and put new tidbits in. And then I'm like, no, you know what? That is the only scripted part of the show. So we're going to stick to it. But I hope everyone's feeling good. Today, I wanted to talk about something that actually to me seems really basic. And I don't mean basic like a basic bitch, like in a bad way. I mean, it seems basic, like obvious to me. But we are going to talk about how to taste wine. I think there's two prongs to this. There's the, okay, wine professional. I'm the psalm. How do I approach tasting wines? What are the schools of thought? And then there's the, you know, consumer who's out there, my friends, my family, my people I don't know, just out there just swirling and twirling. And then I think there's somewhere in between. There's the people who want to taste like a psalm. And so we're going to go over all of the above. Now, no matter if it's white, red, rosé, or orange, no matter if it's those, any of those, no matter the shade, there's a basic formulation for like the traditional metric of how you would taste a wine. And it goes a little something like this. Okay, no, it's not a song. It's like, look, smell, taste, conclude. Okay, that's so stuffy, but essentially it's a sequential thought process of, you know, it's sort of a version of the like a hypothesis or whatever that thing we learned in science where you're like, first you do this. And so first you're looking at the wine, not the bottle. You're looking at the wine in the glass. You're pouring some wine in the glass. You're looking at it. Then you're smelling it. Then you're tasting it. And then you're drawing a conclusion. And I think the conclusion in this term is different for different people. So if you're an individual, the conclusion would be like, do I love it? Do I hate it? Could I take it or leave it? Is it smash or trash, right? <laughs> I guess that's what, that's what everybody's saying. But if you are a psalm, there's so much more that would be in your conclusion. But let's back it up. So when you're looking at a wine, what would you be looking for aside from the obvious, which is color? So there's the even more obvious. It's white. It's rosé. It's red. It's orange. But there's so many variances in what a red wine color can be. Is it ruby red? Is it violet? Is it crimson? The list goes on. You're also looking for opacity. So like 
How transparent is this wine? The best way to check the opacity or transparency of a wine is you actually tilt the glass and you hold it over a piece of paper that has writing on it. And it's like, can you see through the wine and see the words on the page? You don't have to read them. It's really just about seeing them. Or is it a total blackout? Is it like, are you wearing tights that where you can see your skin or are we going like the full opaque matte look? Listen, growing up in New York, it was like tight politics. Let me tell you, so many pairs of tights, so many and ah, tight for every occasion. But that's what you're looking for. The last one is general appearance, right? Like, is it cloudy? Is it super clear? And then with that, you might move the wine to the glass and you're looking for viscosity, which kind of could be thought of as like the texture of a wine and How does it drip down the glass? Some people like to say the legs. And yes, that is a term where you swirl the glass, the drips coming down. Those are the quote unquote legs, which I don't know. Should that term be kept? I'm not sure. It could also be like the dribs, right? I don't like maybe we start a new one because legs feels a little archaic, maybe. I don't know. We'll get into that later. So then when you're going on to smell, just to ground you in what we're looking for, smell is earth notes, fruit notes, herb notes, and anything that's standing out. Yo, pencil shavings, tobacco, like non-natural things you'd find. And then taste is, well, taste is different for everyone. But the main idea for why you might want to learn how to taste wine or pay attention to it more is to build your palate. That's right. You build your damn palate. And what that does, the whole point of me talking to you about this is whether you're a casual drinker, uh, I'll drink anything drinker or aspirational psalm or starting out in the psalm world, building your palate is the access point to having a greater understanding about wine and being more discerning about what wine is quote unquote, good in the context of its category. Now we're going to dive into that a little bit later because I just want to put in a preface or a wedge or I don't know, what is this like a big parentheses? Okay. Warning, warning. We're not getting negative, but we're just getting real. Not everyone's palates are created equal. So like, I hate to say it, some people have better palates than others. You can train your palate to get better, but like, Some people just can't taste stuff as well. Or there are super tasters who can taste things so, so well. They can, you know, that like annoying friend at dinner who's like, and there's cumin in here, I think. And you're just like, yeah, but like, what else can we talk about? Why this is important is if you want to become like a super taster in wine, it's good to get to know if your palate is discerning. And there's a few ways you can do that. And one test though, is to see if your palate can detect flaws. So flaws in wine are, in my opinion, like traces of characters that are not appealing when you're drinking the wine. Sometimes they're accidental. Sometimes they're like sort of accidental, but overall, I don't really buy wine that has a flaw. There's the top three flaws that you're going to find are a thing called mouse, a thing called cork, and a thing called volatile acidity. So when we talk about mouse, what is mouse aside from like that cute little thing? And maybe you've heard it like, ooh, this tastes mousy. And then a few years ago, the natural wine trend, everyone was like, I like mousy wine. Listen, I've never liked mousy wine. It's not my thing. But mouse is because there's been a growth of acetic acid bacteria under conditions of low oxygen tension. 
that can lead to higher levels of ethyl acetate. (laughs) What the fuck does that mean? Okay. Basically, if you taste a wine that you've had before and you're like, huh, this tastes weird. It tastes kind of like puppy's breath or corn nuts or a cage full of mice, you know, something like that, which I don't know exactly what a cage full of mice would taste like, but that could be that the wine is mousy. A lot of times it has to do with like a barrel not being cleaned fully before a new wine goes in. It's really unfortunate. Puppy's breath is a good one. It's usually on the finish. Okay, not all palates are created equal part two. There is a thing called being corked, right? Corked wine is tainted by TCA, which is a compound that reacts to the wine and makes it taste less pleasant, kind of like a nasty little beach bathroom, wet cardboard, wet doggy. So listen, let's break this down. Few things about corks. Cork, like actual corks, real ones are made from trees. So they're always going to have a little bit of bacteria in them. And the reaction that creates this cork taint or TCA, or when someone says a wine is corked, is when the chlorophenol interacts with fungus. And look, there's some other wild avant-garde people who think that maybe when there is TCA or a corked wine, it's actually a molecule that's blocking our brain receptors from smelling fruit. I am not sure if that's true. So please don't fact check me on that shit. But that was just some Hulu voodoo and not Hulu as we know it out there in the ethernet. I'm not sure if that's true. A wine cannot be corked if you find a piece of cork floating in the wine. Can't be corked. That's not what it is. Or if you find little white crystals, tartrates, that does not mean the wine is corked. That's a natural byproduct of some wines and you can totally drink them. They're fine. A wine is also not corked if it's not an actual real cork. So if it's a screw cap or a synthetic cork, it's not going to be corked. You just don't don't stand on that leg. Listen, cork is not always poison, but that's another flaw. Not everyone can taste it. Not everyone can taste mousiness. The last one is volatile acidity, which kind of smells and tastes like nail polish remover. So those are some of the roadblocks that maybe you'd first want to get over. But You know, if you really want to geek out and you want to get into the like psalm, psalmy, psalm, psalm brain, a lot of people operate by the S rules. And I think even casual tasting groups operate by the S rules. And at the end, I'm going to tell you how I operate. But the S rules, there's five or seven of them. But if we had all seven, it would be see, swirl, smell, sip, slurp, savor, spit. So obviously if you're ruling by the seven, you're in a workplace environment because like me, anytime I taste wine, I spit it out. We're not swallowing the wine. We're not getting lit all day. It also, I think spitting the wine out helps me taste it more. So you could cut back those rules of the S rules to five or seven, but I think that that could be a helpful one for people to think about if you wanted to get even more geeked out, like you want to take it to an extreme. And now this is like not me some, but I'll tell you a little anecdote way back years ago, over 10 years ago. I think if you've listened to the About Me episode, you know that I worked at Kraft. I didn't get promoted for a position. And so I quit. And in between, after I quit and in between, I started working at Animal. I was just convinced that the only reason I didn't get that job was not only because I was a woman and I was young, but also because I didn't have any sommelier titles. Like I needed certificates and titles and I had to show everybody like, look, I know all this shit. I'm not 
just phoning it in. Like I could do this. So I started doing the court of master sommeliers, which is one of two pretty prestigious, popular in the United States, sort of quote unquote, psalm schools. You don't go to school, but it's a measure of knowledge that gets awarded to people and you get, and you test into it. So I did the quartermaster sommelier. So I did the first one, which you just pass the first level. You don't get anything except you're allowed to then take the certified psalm test. And this first one was a two, uh, one day or affair. You sit there and you're like, they tell you all the answers to the test while you're sitting there, seminar vibes. And I was like, oh my God, this is a piece of cake. Like I know all this stuff. Passed it, no problem. Then I go to level two and they're like, we encourage you to study with flashcards. We encourage you to use our tasting guidelines, which I'm going to get into. And I had to go to Vegas. It's the only time I've been to Vegas, stayed on the strip. And I stayed at the Bellagio and I was like, this is insane. I thought these rooms would be a lot nicer, but the test was at the Bellagio and you know, I know y'all are with me there, but anyway, I wasn't allowed to wear what I wanted to wear. I had to wear a suit and I was like, ah, this is just so wrong right to begin with. And then I go to the welcome meeting and it's a two day test and I have to do three different levels of testing. So one is theory, which is like a written test. The second is service, which is a service test. So some of the service is pouring wine. The hardest part of the service that everyone gets freaked out about is you have to open a bottle of champagne table side and then slowly pour one continuous pour into four glasses while you stop in between the glasses, but you can't have it bubble up. So you have to like pour it incredibly slowly so that the bubbles never get out of control. And then there's a blind tasting. So let me just cut to, it was a nightmare. I think I passed. I didn't care in the end because I realized that the community was not right for me. It's like people having a little pin on their lapel just to tell you that this is what I know and this is where I belong. And I just didn't feel like I belonged. But the other thing about it was the master song community felt like there was only one right way to taste wine. I think that's really what I'm trying to get at today. It's like you can use these guidelines, the, the S, the seven S's or the five S's, or you could just use the casual, like, you know, look, smell, taste, conclude, or get lit, whatever you want. Or you could get like really hardcore and use the quartermaster sommelier's tasting guide, which is like when you go to site, there's like 10 subcategories from like clarity to concentration to secondary colors to rim variation. Like is the color around the rim of the wine a different color? Because that can indicate whether the wine is old or young. And you use this tasting sheet between sight and scent, nose and palate, and then a secondary palate evaluation. Because what you're trying to do is without knowing what wine was in the glass, conclude not only what the grape variety and blend is, what the country of origin is, but then within that, where in that country is it from? A fancy wine? Is it not a fancy wine? And what year is it? I mean, shit, this is hard. But actually, once you start doing it a lot, it kind of becomes easier and easier. But y'all, I don't think you want to go down that road. I mean, for me, I felt like I was 
sort of buried in a coffin underground and I was still alive. But that's really extreme and kind of dark. So, okay, I take that back. It wasn't that bad, but maybe I just ran for the hills hysterically crying on the plane on the way home and then, you know, went to my then boyfriend at the time, like, I have no worth. I have no value. No one will ever hire me. And like, that's after I had literally applied at every wine shop in LA. And now this is before I met John and Vinny, but I was like, please hire me, please hire me. And the, I, you know, a lot of people wanted to, but they said I didn't have the experience. And by experience, it was that they couldn't collate or they couldn't understand how much or how little knowledge I had. So we don't need to have this as a poor me moment, honestly, because look, I turned out fine. What I ended up deciding was that all this shit was bullshit. And I burned all my flashcards and I stopped tasting wine this way because it became exhausting when every wine I was tasting, I would look at it and run through 20 steps of analysis. You know, it did make me really, really good at tasting wine and evaluating wine, but I don't think I actually really learned how to taste wine until I became a buyer because what it forced me to do was like evaluate value for my customer. And I think at the end of the day, that's what I would encourage everybody else to do. I started tasting knowing I was A, spending someone else's money to buy the wine. I didn't own the business at the time. And B, it was something I had to sell to people. It couldn't just sit on the shelf. It had to have a deliciousness factor. And so when you're tasting wine, you kind of do a shrunk down version. Like suddenly, does it really matter what it looks like? Does it matter what it smells like? Well, I think it matters what it smells like. Does it really matter what it tastes like and how it feels as you're tasting it? So to me, that always has been the most important part is how many points in your mouth does a wine hit as you taste it? A one noter to me is you taste it and you're like, eh, it only hit one part of my palate. But I go for like a three to four noter. We want wines that hit the front, the side, the middle, the top, the back. There's a finish. It's all evolving and then leaving you wanting to have that next sip. Now, I will say, you know, a lot of people will see a cloudy wine and be like, that shit ain't for me. But a lot of times when you drink a cloudy wine, it actually doesn't taste the way it looks. So in that sense, wine can actually be incredibly, incredibly deceiving, like incredibly deceiving. And listen, this is what happens. If you start even thinking about this and you start tasting more and more and more and more wine, you suddenly become more and more and more keen to quality. So I remember my first six months at Animal, I didn't really know who all the wine players were and like, who all the wine people, what wine did I want to buy? And I was kind of like felt trapped buying wine from one book. So I was like, I'm going to taste with every single book that's available. And it's sort of like collection. People have different collections of wine and you have to buy it from them as a distributor and importer. Like I can't just buy direct from the winery because there's all this red tape and layers of people in between me and the wine. And that's called capitalism. But (laughs) anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. I tasted every book methodically, found the ones that I like. And what happened in that is take a white wine grape like Vermentino. Well, When you start tasting eight different Vermentinos, you really have a frame of reference for not only what does Vermentino as a grape taste like, but B, how do you know which one's good? And that's my subjective palate. So you got to kind of trust your own palate and trust that if I think it's good, other people are going to think it's good. But 
you have this deductive reasoning because you have a comparative analysis. And that's what gets super dope about tasting old wine. Not that we could cover the bottles in tinfoil and blind taste on a Saturday night. I mean, that is some people's definition of fun and they are wild, crazy cats. But honestly, it's not really the conversation I want to have 24-7. What wine is this? What wine is that? I think if you're in a restaurant or you're with friends and you want to start thinking about wine in a different way, it's really helpful to, you know what? Analyze your glasses in a really simple way. Okay, this is like what color yellow, if it's a white wine, is it? Is it straw yellow, star bright? Is it like more of a buttercupy, deep yellow? And then you can start associating color with different grapes because the color is a direct correlation with the skin thickness. So it starts to inform, oh, well, maybe if it's a deeper color, does that also change the body of the wine? And then you start thinking about like, what fruit notes are with it? Are they citrus fruit, apple and pear, stone, tropical, melon? And then within those subcategories, is it ripe or is it tart? Is it underripe? Is it dried? Is it bruised? Is it jammy? Is it forest floor? I mean, shit goes on. But what I think everyone should do cruising into this weekend, just make up your own tasting notes. You know, I used to write tasting notes that would be like Lamborghini Mercy. This this Chardonnay is thirsty. Listen, it is. It was an amazing white burgundy. And the first thought that came to my head was Lamborghini Mercy. And your chick, she's so thirsty. Anyway, I don't know. You don't have to do it that extreme, but I feel like if you can emote over to someone what the wine makes you feel, we got to take this shit into our own hands. And we got to do it by not necessarily dumbing it down, but making it less snobby. So this was the 101 to how to taste wine with Helen on Wine Face. I want to get deeper into this, probably within other subcategories of white, rosé, red, orange. We did not touch on sparkling. A lot of the similar aspects of it apply, but I don't think as much time is spent tasting sparkling wine as a category in general, because there isn't as much variance that excites people. I don't know if that's the nice way to say it, but look, next time you pop that bottle, just open your eyes, open all your senses. If anything, it's a really good brain exercise. And you know, that's the best way to age. Exercise your brain, yo. That's what you're really going to need when you hit 70, okay? Well, this was Helen. Thanks, y'all, for tuning in to talk about how to taste wine. Where do we even start? The last thing I will mention before I go, because I think this will be a full circle moment for some people. At the end of this conversation, maybe some of your brains went, okay, so this is why when you order a bottle of wine in a restaurant, you need to taste it first. And let me tell you, I know sometimes people feel like that act is super formal and kind of over the top. And oftentimes I'll open a bottle of wine at a table and people are like, no, 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 just pour it, just pour it. But the reason a taste is poured is to look for corked wine, that TCA. You want to make sure that the wine is not flawed. At Helen's, we taste the wine for you. The Psalm's job is to taste a little splash, make sure it's good, and then pour it at the table. But I just wanted to give that full circle moment for you all. And if you're interested in learning more about how to taste wine in a more studious way, there are classes. I would encourage you to go to 
some of your local wine shops, sign up. There's the W set or just get crazy, do the quartermaster sommeliers and then tell me what you think. A lot, of, I think a lot of things is, have changed in like 12 or 13 years. But this is Helen from Helen's Wines. It's Wine Face. Thank you so much for joining. If you want to follow along with more of the wines I'm into right now, what we got in the shop, you can follow me on Instagram at Helen's Wines or want to join the wine club, go to helenswines.com. This is the John and Vinny's Helen's Wine Club. We are shipping out some of our favorite wines every month all across the nation. You should check it out. All right. Take care. Bye.